Well, in our study of 1 Samuel, we've seen that God has an incredible plan for his people, Israel. And part of that plan is the use of a young shepherd boy by the name of David. And so far in our study, we've seen that God's people have in some part kind of rebelled and, and not wanted the, the, the plan of God for them. And they demonstrated this by rejecting God's rule as king over them. And instead, they wanted to choose for themselves a king in order to be like all the other nations. They wanted a human king. And God had warned them. He says, look, if you go down this path, if you want to be like all the other nations, this is a path that does not end well. And yet, even though God had warned them through the prophet Samuel, they ultimately ignore God's warnings. And God, through his permissive will, gives them a king after their own heart. It's King Saul. He's tall, dark, and handsome, like your pastor. He's everything that, that the nation could possibly expect and want uh, out of a king. And they're so excited, at least in the beginning. And then, very quickly, things begin to fall apart and begin to head south. And so God, though, instead of leaving them in this pit, in this trouble that they've got him in, he does what he always does. He's so gracious and he's so merciful. And what he does is he extends to them and he gives them a king after his own heart. This is King David. And this is a man who is concerned for the reputation of God. He was a man that was convinced of the power of God. We learned all of this in his battle against David and and he was a man who was consecrated. That means that he was set apart for the mere purpose of glorifying God and making him great amongst the nations. And now we come to chapter 18 and 19. And there we see that this plan for David of being king and this plan, therefore, for Israel that God has for them now is going to come under attack. You know, I think the majority of us believe that God has wonderful plans for us. Amen? I think, amen? Yeah, um, Maybe we need to convince ourselves of that sometimes. But I think if we were to be asked that question, do you believe that God has a wonderful plan for your life? I think probably the majority of us would probably answer that in the affirmative. We would say, yes, we believe he has a plan for us. But we also know that sometimes we find ourselves in extremely difficult situations, in very difficult, very hard times of life, very lonely, even dry, spiritually dry times of life. At least that's the life that I've lived and, and if you're like that, sometimes it's not so much that we always doubt that God has wonderful plans for us. Sometimes what we are doubting is whether God can secure those plans uh, for us. Listen, I, I think all of us have made plans before, right, for our lives. You know, I was supposed to be a doctor, not this kind of doctor, a different kind of doctor. And we have plans. And some of those plans for ourselves are wonderful, well-meaning, God-honoring type of plans. Yes, uh, there are things that we really felt good about, but because sometimes of situations and circumstances outside of our power and out of our control, those plans have ultimately have to change. And what the scripture is teaching us this morning is this, is that's not how it works with God. That there is nothing out of his sovereign power. He is all powerful. And the plan that he has for you and I will be upheld and secured no matter how much we are attacked by the enemy. So there are two things we want to see with that idea in mind of God's ability to secure and to keep safe and to protect his people and his plan for us. Two things I want to show you in the word of God this morning. I think that kind of unfold and show themselves in verses 18 and 19. The first thing we want to see is the certain attack of God's people. 
the certain attack on God's people. Now, beginning in chapter 18 in verse 6 through 19 in verse 1, what we're going to see is we're going to see a series of attacks on David, David's person, by King Saul. And in verse 6, we're kind of given kind of an understanding, kind of a behind-the-scene reasoning of why these attacks are going to happen to him. And pick up in verse 6, it says, And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines. So this is immediately after he, he, he wins the battle against Goliath, and, and they slaughter the Philistines. They're coming back. Here's what happens. He says, The women came out of the city of Israel singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. Now, when this first happened, King's like, oh, this is great. Look at the women. They're coming out and they're dancing and they're celebrating and they're coming to meet me. But then he doesn't like the lyrics to the song. And so here, here, here's the lyrics. It says, and the woman said to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and, and this displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me have ascribed thousands. Now, at first, it just sounds like he just has that green eye of envy, that he's a little bit jealous that now David is receiving all this attention, and he's not. But the next phrase actually gives us a better indication of what's really eating him and eating at him. The next phrase says, and what more he, it says, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. What's going on with Saul? Well, he's paranoid. But it's a paranoid that hasn't just happened here. It's been kind of being cultivated since 1 Samuel chapter 13. Remember back in chapter 13, it's where he was disqualified to leave God's people. He was told to be able to go to a certain place and to wait there for five days until Samuel came to him. Then Samuel was going to offer up a sacrifice to God. And when he did that, then he would tell him and give him more words of God of how to, where to go and what to do. Well, he waits five days, but he doesn't wait until Samuel gets there. And he makes the sacrifice himself, which was a huge no-no. And he does something that only the prophet and the priest should have done. And Samuel said to him at that point, he says, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So from chapter 13 on to this point, he is completely paranoid, constantly looking for who is this new guy, this man after God's own heart, who's now going to come over and lead the nation of Israel. He's completely paranoid, and now he's going to do everything he can to be able to defeat David as he comes up against him. He views him as the enemy. And now what we see, just stick with me, now what we see is a series of attacks. Let me just explain them to you very carefully. In in, in verse 10, uh, we see the first attack, and it's a physical attack. The Bible says, says this, it says, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within the house with while David was playing the lyre, the lyre as he did day by day, and Saul had a spear in his hand. Isn't this an interesting picture? There was a man, the most protected man in all of Israel, in the most protected place of all of Israel, and he still can't find any comfort in any peace. He's got, a, he's got a spear in his hand because he's paranoid and he's restless. Peace is, is escaping him, even though he's in this protected place. Why? This is a picture of what it's like to run from God and the obedience of God. 
When we're not obedient to God, there is no rest. There is no peace. And, and here he is at, sitting with his spear. And the Bible tells us in verse 11, And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Now, I don't think he threw the spear. David dodged it. He went and got the spear, then threw it, you know, tried a second time. I think what the author is telling us is that this is, he's just explaining he not only did it once, but later on in chapter 19, he did it once again. So the first attack is physical. The second attack is spiritual. Now, in the story, what happens in verses 17 through 21 is that David was promised at the defeating of Goliath that he would receive one of his daughters uh, to, to marry. And, and Saul promised him uh, his daughter Merib, and, but then for whatever reason, and we don't know why, but the scriptures tell us that he then gave Merib, who he promised to David, to a man by the name of Adriel. Then at that point, he finds out, Saul finds out that one of his other daughters is in love with David. That's got to be a fearful moment. I've got five daughters, and the day they come and say, I love this man, that man will be my enemy. Okay, and so, so he, she comes and she says, I love him. And the Bible says that this, this came uh, really as, 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 as peace to him. This encouraged his, his heart. It pleased him is what it says. And, and the reason is, is, is explained in verse 21. It says, it says, Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, that the hand of the Philistine may be against him. Now, the word snare is an important theological phrase here. It's used several times in the, in, in the Old Testament to be able to describe the dangers of idol worship. And one of the things that we've seen in the Old Testament with, with all of God's people is they are constantly be, worshiping false gods. That's why God said in the Old Testament that the people were not to, to intermarry uh, the issue, listen, we who are in the South, the issue was not an issue of color, that you shouldn't marry somebody of a different color. That wasn't the issue. You shouldn't marry somebody with a different faith. Uh, th this was God's covenant people. And he said, you're not to intermarry because once the sons of God begin to intermarry with these, with these pagan nations, they would love the wife and then they would end up loving their gods as well. And the hand of God would no longer be on them. This is exactly what Saul is trying to do. If he can't hit him with a spear and kill him physically, then he's going to corrupt him spiritually. And if he does, and he begins to worship these false gods, he knows that God will turn his back on him as well. So he tries to destroy him spiritually. There's another way he seeks to be destroyed, and, and that was just really what we'd call a hidden attack, the third attack in verse 25. Uh, we know that, that, that Saul had given uh, his daughter Micah to him, um, in order to be able to ensnare him, to be able to keep him um, uh, 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 from following God. Well, the protocol during that day is that you would have to pay a dowry. That, in other words, if you wanted to marry a man, listen to me very carefully, if you wanted to marry a man's daughter, okay, this is the Bible, then you would have to give that man a great deal of money for that daughter. So we're going to practice that same thing with my five daughters. If you want to marry, you're going to have to pay, all right? And so we just want to be biblical, all right? And so, he, but he doesn't have the money. He doesn't have the money to pay. So Saul tells him this. He comes to him and says, hey, listen, no, you don't have the money. No big deal. But what I want you to do is I want 104 skins of the enemy of the Philistines. So he sends him out and he goes out and he ultimately fights. And you say, well, what, what's the big deal about that? He's playing the odds. If he can't kill him himself, if he can't corrupt him spiritually, then he's going to let the enemies, his enemies do it. And what he's going to do is he's going to send them out and he's got to kill a hundred of these men. He's playing the odds. One of these times he might get nailed out on the battlefield. But we find out that he isn't. 
He's not killed. Instead, he doesn't just kill 100 of them. He kills 200 of them, and he brings those foreskins back to him. Now, we see a final attack in chapter 19, verse 1. I know this is like chewing on cardboard, but just stick with me. Uh, here's a, it's the word. Don't blame me. Blame the writer. And so there's a fourth attack in 19.1. Here's what happens. Finally, he's just tired of all this cloak and dagger stuff. And finally, he's just like, look, full-on frontal attack. We're going to kill him. So he, he gathers together his son and his servants. And the Bible says, and Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants. And he says that you should kill David. So here we have two enemies, Saul, David. He's constantly trying to attack him, perpetually attacking him every moment of every day to try to destroy him. What does that mean for us? Well, I think that there is this false notion. And I don't know why we suffer from this, by the way. But I think it begins when we first come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you were like me, even as a little boy, I thought coming to faith in Jesus Christ meant that all your troubles, worries, and difficulties of life were no longer. I thought they just kind of went away, and now you live this big bowl full of cherry life. Anybody with me on that? I, I thought all of a sudden, hey, I'm not going to struggle with this stuff anymore. Uh, I'm going to live a life in a commune of God's people where we're going to wear, wear cheesy Christian t-shirts and sing K-Love songs all day. All right, that's what, I, that's what I thought the Christian life was going to be like. But anybody who's truly been born again knows that that could not be further from the truth. You know that there continues to be difficulties. You don't escape all the difficulties. You just exchange them. You exchange the difficulties that you incurred by rebellion against God, and all of those are taken away, and now you just replace them with difficulties and struggles that, that, that come because now you're with him. You, you guys with me on that? There's just an exchange of suffering. You were exchanging for unrighteousness sake, and now for every true believer, they begin to suffer for righteousness sake. Jesus, when he's baptized by John the Baptist, remember this, comes, he's baptized, and this is the beginning of his public ministry. And by him being baptized, what he was demonstrating to everyone around, he says, I must do this. He's letting everybody know that he's submitting his whole life to the Heavenly Father, everything that he has and everything that he is. And remember at the beautiful moment, he goes down, he says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Oh, this is good stuff, right? And the Holy Spirit, like a dove, you know, come, comes down on him. And then after that, you remember what happens? They, they go and they have a big party for Jesus. And he gets all kinds of humanitarian awards and best Christian award. And it's not what happens, right? What happens to him? He immediately is led by the Spirit out into the desert where he's clobbered time and time again by the devil. Are you with me? What, what happens to David? David sits there. He, he, he's anointed as king. He's the new king, man after God's own heart. He takes them. He's anointed by him. And what happens? He finds himself being led out in a battlefield to a giant, a man twice his size. And that's not even the end of the attacks. It's just the beginning of the attacks. As we now in chapter 18 lay out attack after attack after attack. What does it mean? It means to us that anytime, anytime, that you and I submit ourselves to the will and the plan of God for our life. And let me be very, very clear here. When I say will and plan for God's life, I'm not talking about some hidden will, some hidden plan. 
that everybody's always running around trying to figure out. Oh, I just got to figure out what the will of God is for my, just gotta, and always got a plan for me. And it's kind of like this cosmic, like um, uh, 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 um, um, lost and found or, or kind of like tag or, 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 or seeking. Where is this? I, I need to know his will. He's got it for me, but he's hiding it for I'm not talking about any of that nonsense. What I'm talking about, the will and the plan of God is what we know is certain in the word of God that he has revealed through the truth of the writing of the word of God. I'm talking about something so concrete, as concrete as David knowing that he had been set apart for God as the next Israel's next king. He knew it because God had revealed it to him. God is now, and now he's going to be under attack with that. The enemy wants to undo this plan in him. And the enemy, our enemy, wants to undo this for us. And anytime, listen, anytime, whether, you, whether it's your first profession of faith in Jesus Christ or every day you choose to do what is right, expect radical attack from the enemy. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is not somebody at your work. The enemy is the devil. The enemy is, is the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be watchful for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Every minute of every day, the devil and his hordes of demons are seeking to destroy every aspect of you, physically and spiritually. He wants to disrupt the plans of God on you. Now, I understand what the danger is me saying this. Is that sound crazy? Let, let's, let's just admit it. We all know the person, and I'm not going to point them out, man. Uh, I, I'm not going to point them out, who, who always goes around blaming the devil for everything. You know these types of folks, right? It's like it rains. Oh, the devil's behind this. I had a picnic today. I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. You know, and and it's Satan's like, you guys understand what I'm saying? It's like Satan's and everything. And we just sound like idiots, Right? I mean, the car breaks down. The car breaks down uh, uh, on the way to church. Look, the devil made my car break down. How do, you, how do you know that? I mean, I don't understand that, right? I'm sick. It's the devil. The devil got a hold of me, man. The devil got, how do you know it's the devil? Look, see, here's what's confusing about it. We do see in stories like Job that God does allow Satan to be able to do some wicked and pretty horrible things for the testing of the faith of Job, right? So we can't blame him there. But then we have passages that says, hey man, it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, sometimes the car breaks down, maybe because Satan was, I don't know. Sometimes it just breaks down because your car is a piece of junk, all right? Sometimes it just breaks down because you haven't changed the oil in 125,000 miles. Sometimes it just breaks down because we live in a fallen world where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in to steal it, right? So I'm not one that goes around going, the devil, ah, the devil, right? Because I don't know what it is. Here's what I do know without a shadow of a doubt. That everything, every single difficulty and situation inside of my life, Satan takes that and uses that as an opportunity to be able to draw me away from God and his perfect plan for me. Is he the one initiating? I don't know, but I know what he wants to do with it. And he wants my loneliness and my hurt and my disappointments and my pains and my physical ailments and all of those things, whether it's directly stemming from him or just because we're within a fallen world, I don't have the answers for that. You got to get a smarter pastor than me, which isn't very difficult to do. But let me tell you, this is what I will know. He will use everything and every opportunity to be able to shipwreck you for your faith. He wants to destroy you. 
Let's pray, right? Let's leave it there. It's just the reality of the Christian life. This is what we ought to preach people before they sign on the dotted line, before they walk the aisle, before they say, I do, before they're baptized, going, you realize that from now on, there's going to be somebody who wants to destroy you and he's never going to stop, right? That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The bad news is there is a certain attack on God's people. Here's the good news, the constant protection of God's people. The con- there is constant protection for God's people. Amen? Now, you say, well, where's that at? Well, let's look at this. First, we see that, in, so chapter 18 is all about him being attacked. Chapter 19 is all about uh, the, the providential sovereign protection of his people. And so what we see is, first of all, he's protected by a friend. The moment that, 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 that Saul tells Jonathan that he wants to destroy David, guess what his good friend does? He goes and he intercedes for him. And he begins to say, the Bible says in verse 4, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his, his deeds have, have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against the innocent blood by killing David without cause? Jonathan uses a rational, moral, theological, and biblical argument to persuade him not to do this harmful thing to his son. Who is behind that? God. God. No, it doesn't last. It only protects him for a certain moment. And then he goes right back to attack him again. Next, we see that God uses his family member to be able to protect him from, from the enemy. He says, remember that Saul had given Michael to him in order to cause him to fall spiritually and ruin him spiritually. We got that, right? Well, guess what? What he intends for evil, God uses as good. So now Michael, this pagan worshiping wife of his, does what? She finds out that these messengers are going to come and going to kill David. And here's what she does. She says, honey, if you don't get out tonight, by morning, you will be dead. You need to leave. So the very one that he chose to disrupt him and destroy him is now aiding in him. This is amazing how God's able to do that, right? And so he's turning this all around. So she lowers him out of the window. Don't know what that looks like. My wife would probably just throw me out and say, good luck. But, but, but lowers him out of the window. He leaves. And then what she does is she takes one of these gods that, that, that she's been worshiping, and she takes it and she slides it in the bed, covers it up, and puts goat hair up near the head. And when, these, when, when, this, when this mob squad comes to the door, they open it up, and they go, hey, we're here to get David, we're here to kill him. She opens the door, and she says, shh, 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 keep your voice down. He's not feeling well. Oh, he's sick? Oh, we're so sorry. We're so, so sorry. We'll, we'll come back. So they leave, they go back to Saul, and they basically say, he's, he's sick, we didn't want to disturb him. What do you mean he's sick? We want to kill him. Go get him. So they go back and they get him. I love this story. And they go back and they actually pick up the bed and they bring it back. And Saul finds out that what he intended for evil, God was using for good. He protects them. And then here's the third thing. Finally, there's this supernatural way and God protects him. Uh, By the way, just to let you know, the majority of the times that God protects us, it is him doing it, but he uses the natural to be able to do it, not the supernatural. You got that? All right. But sometimes God will do the supernatural. All right, there's, there's no, we don't doubt that at all, amen? All right, and so what happens is, is this, is um, when he leaves his wife, she throws him out the window, um, he lands safely, he goes over to Ramah, he's trying to find the priest, he's trying to find, or excuse me, the prophet Samuel. He gets to Ramah where he is, hoping that he can pro- provide some protection. He doesn't. The king sends another mob squad, group of messengers to come and to be able to kill him. As they're ready to get close to him, 
The Bible says the Spirit of God was sent on these men and they begin to prophesy and they don't kill him. Saul finds out about it, sends another group. Same exact thing, they begin to prophesy. Third one, also, it says, he comes and it says, they also prophesy. Finally, Saul is rid of this. I'm trying to sum all this up. He gets tired of this and he goes, you know what? If you want to do something, if you want something done right, you need to go yourself. I'll go and kill him. So he goes to the city of Ramah. And he's ready to lay hands on him. And all of a sudden, guess what? The Spirit of God comes on him. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came uh, to Ramah. And he says, and he too was stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all the day and all the night. And it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? A couple things I just want to close up on this. We got the idea that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, seeking to do the will of God and the plan of God, you have no option but for the rest of your life be attacked in every possible way. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, in secret, in public, you, the devil, will do all they can to disrupt you and to pull you away from the plans of God. Do you got that? The encouragement is, the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that which he has planned before eternity's past, he has the power to secure not only that plan, but to be able to protect his people until he says, it's enough, no matter what it is. Three things I want to draw, draw away from this. First of all, God works to protect us in many ways. Many ways. He doesn't just use one way. He uses many ways, sometimes very normal, everyday things like friends and family members. Did you know that? God uses friends and family members. Now, l- let me say this. Friends and family members, we ought to listen to most of the time. Some friends and family members, we ought not to be listening to. Those that are like Jonathan, we ought to listen to. If we, if we went back in the beginning of, ch- of chapter 18, it talks about the friendship between David and, 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 and uh, Jonathan. And it says there that as soon as he heard of David and saw him, he, he loved him. He loved him, and they became best friends, and they made a covenant with each other. Literally, the, the, the Hebrew means cut a covenant, which means they actually went through the ritual of covenant making. They took an animal, they cut it in half, they split it, they, 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 they bound each other like this, and they walked through this slain animal. It was all a picture to say, I'm going to be faithful to this, perp- this person to the point of death. And if I'm not faithful to this person, then all that I do and say then may the same that happened to this animal happen to me. That's what they were saying when they made the covenant, okay? That's, that's the faithfulness that they were talking about. And then after that, what we see is Jonathan begins to give him his, his armor and his belt and his sword over to him, and this is astounding. Because what he's doing is at this point, he is confirming the will of God and the plan of God for David's life by him giving these things, these armor and everything, these were the pictures of him that he was supposed to take over and be the next king of Israel. Huh? For him giving them up to David, he was sitting there going, I'm not submitting to what is best for me. I'm submitting to what I know is the truth of God's word. We don't know how he knew it. He just knew it. That's the point. You know what we need? We need friends who are going to confirm the clear word of God and the plan of God in our life. I'm not talking about people telling us where we should go and what we should do and when and all that. I'm not talking about those esoteric kind of out things. I'm talking about the things of the will of God that are very clear for our, for our lives that are founded in the word of God. And we don't need friends that are going to come around and just tell us what we want to hear. We want to have friends that love us so much 
that they're willing at a great expense to themselves, even destroying the relationship between us by being willing to be able to tell us what is true because it is the will of God. What I'm saying today for you is one of the main ways that God protects us, listen to me very carefully, to the friends, the godly friends, and the godly parents and family that God has put in our life. And when they are following the will of God, and yet we reject what it is that their advice, when it's godly, you got that right? When it's godly, we're putting ourselves into danger and we're dismissing the protection that God has allowed in our life to be able to maintain that plan there. Second thing I want you to see is this, is that God works to protect us even when we are unaware that we're even being attacked. You know, in, in chapter 18, uh, uh, David was oblivious to the fact that he was attacked. And you said, wait a minute, he had a spear thrown at him. Does he know he's being attacked? Yeah, but he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have chalked that up. He thought it was the spirit that was in Saul that was causing him to throw the spear. He didn't take this personally. He knew that there was a condition there. And so he doesn't know. He doesn't know that when he's given Michael in, 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 in marriage, that this was actually something to destroy him, not bless him. When he was given the option not to be able to give the money, but to be able to give a hundred of these foreskins of the enemy uh, over, he felt just he was being kind and gave him another way to be able to make his payment. He thought this was fantastic. But the entire time, what he did not know is that he was under continual perpetual attack from the enemy seeking to destroy him. And what I'm telling you today is you and I have no idea, no idea how much And how often, not only the enemy is constantly attacking us, but how often God is sustaining us and protecting us every moment of every day. Because we could sit here and say, when was God, uh, when has God protected you? And you're going to tell me a story 20 years ago when you were 13. No, no, no. 13 seconds ago, God was protecting you. And we don't even know. You say, well, what's the application of that? That our hearts, when we leave this place, are full with ever-growing satisfaction and thanksgiving to a God who constantly has us secure in his hand. That's, that's the outcome of that. How does it help my finances? Forget your finances. God's got you. He's protecting you. He deserves all the glory. Getting a little fired up here. All right, here's the third thing. Why are you yelling? I don't know. I, I normally don't yell. I'm just getting fired up. All right, third thing, third thing, God works to protect us even when we don't, and this is probably more important for some of us than anything else, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't feel that protection. You know, there's a part of me that doesn't think that David felt really cozy and protected when in the middle of the night people are coming to die, heal him, and his wife is like throwing him out the window. There's no sense of God's protecting me in this. I got a feeling that when he's in Rama and he hears that there are people coming to kill him one wave after the other, I got a feeling he's probably not sitting back and go, I just feel so at peace right now. I just, I feel warm inside. I just feel good. It it doesn't. One of our biggest battles is the emotion that we have because when we're going through all this stuff, we don't feel secure. That's not reality. The reality is, yes, you have this enemy around you, attacking you, but you are secure because you are God's and you are his. It reminds me of the story that we we find in the story of Elisha in the Old Testament. I love this story, Elijah, Elisha. I always get confused with the two of them. And um, and, and Elisha's sitting there and the king of Syria has now surrounded the city. And Elisha's like sleeping through the night and 
and, his, and, and, and all the enemies there to be able to kill him. Remember the story? And, and then his servant's with him. His servant wakes up, and he looks around, and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's falling apart, First Kings chapter 6, verse 6. He goes, what are we going to do? Look at the enemy around us. And, and what does Elisha do? He kind of yawns. He pats on him, and he prays, and says, Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. And behold, the mountain was full of those chariots and horses in Elisha. So there he was, and he had, here's what I believe, and this is my prayer for us today. We're not going to be able to see every possible way and every moment that God is protecting us. And we're not even going to feel that protection many of the times. But the confidence that we have, that the word of God, this is what faith is. Faith is knowing that God says, I have a perfect plan for you and for your life, and you can trust me with it. And you're going to be attacked by a greater enemy than you could ever imagine. You can't, you can't, but you can't stand against this alone. If you do, you're going to crumble. But I'm telling you that I not only have a great plan for you, but I have the power to sustain you through it all, whether you feel it or whether not. That's a beautiful word of encouragement to me. But you know what the greatest word of encouragement to me is and to you this morning? That Jesus Christ secured your future through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. That's what should encourage us more than anything else. It's not that there's just angels protecting us and God just working in and through the circumstances in our lives, secretly, publicly, physically, working in all these different ways, naturally and supernaturally to be able to protect us. The greatest evidence of his protection and his love and his plan for us is 2,000 years ago, him going to the cross and dying for you and I to secure a relationship, eternal relationship between you and us uh, to the God in which we rebelled against. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And God, I thank you for your word. And God, just the encouragement, the encouragement that we have. God, often we don't feel, we don't see, we don't know exactly what's going on or how you're doing it. All the word of God is showing us is that this is a reality, your goodness and your sovereign power in our life. It is what we entrust ourselves to you for. God, for those who have already been born again, we believe, help us to believe all the more. God, for those who have never believed, grant them the miracle of faith today to cry out, to repent of their sin and place their whole life in the completed work of Jesus Christ for salvation. The miracle of God. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and stand. This altar is going to be open. You just take time. Now, now, now's your turn. Now's your turn to take the preaching of the word and what you've heard and to be able to apply that to your life and to be able to, whether it's repentance, whether it's praise, whatever it is, now take a few moments to be able to let that build its way in and you respond in your relationship with God. All right? I'll be down here if you want to pray. All right?